Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi. Hello. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and 2000s. I'm one of your hosts, Emily Beijing. And I'm your other host, Margot Poupard. Welcome to our season six finale. Yay. We want to take a moment to thank you for all your support this past season and year and cannot wait to keep deep diving on shallow topics with you all in 2022. But today we're going to not talk too much about 2022 or even 2021. We're going to take Thank it back. God. <laughs> We're going to take it back to the early 2000s, back when we weren't worried about supply chain issues or thinking about the Greek letter Omicron unless someone's frat included that letter. Today, we're talking about two holiday movies that came out in 2003 and 2006, Elf and The Holiday. Very excited about to talk about these. How do you feel, Margo? I feel good. I was just rewatching The Holiday, and it was one of those things where every time I rewatch, I was like, "This movie's so great. It holds up so well. Yeah. Oh my god, I love this. It's such a charming movie." And I feel the same way about Elf. Like I, I always feel hesitant to rewatch. I think either maybe because there's such feel good movies, and that's not necessarily my vibe all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I watch them, it. It does, unfortunately, you know, warm my cold heart, just like the Grinch. And it really, I'm always taken aback by how many watches it really took me before I figured out that that was Zoe Deschanel in Elf. Like, oh, yeah. truly, it took years and multiple rewatches, even after she and him and Byron Days of Summer. I still never put it together. It was like maybe six or seven years ago. I was like, oh, shit. Few, wait, people, <laughs> few people where a hair color can just change everything i mean i she is she's not, a who she's like a, you lose the bangs who is she who you know is what i mean she? yeah she's a bangs them regular who <laughs> regular brunette who <laughs> i mean and then you know she dates one of the property brothers now talk about who behavior oh, such who obviously. behavior Speaking of Christmas and the holiday season, I told you when I saw she and him in Oakland two years ago, he showed up on stage, the Property Brother boyfriend. Oh, yes, you did. I remember telling you that it was a cursed text message that you sent me, and I threw my phone across the room going, ah, demon. It was so. It was too much. She showed up in the middle of their cover of Little St. Nick, and I just- Did he I sing? Re- I can't remember now. He sang like the uh, part, the, the one part where he's like, you don't miss no one. Like he came in on- Oh my god. Oh. He's such a particular brand of weird that like honestly, he's that type of weird that only exists on HGTV where it's like propped up as it being kind of like a virtue to be that strange. And it's like, I don't know how he plays in real life, but I can't imagine that it's well. No, and I will say this. I'm I'm glad that I still refuse to learn which one he is. Like I don't even like I just I call him the property brother boyfriend. Like that's yeah. All. I can't even. What's like it's like Jeremy and Deremy. What's what are their names? Jeremy. Does <laughs> 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 you think of Jeremy Baremy from the Good Place? <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Uh, yeah, I think you're right. One of them has to be named Jeremy. It feels just like generic enough. Uh, you know, it's like I bothered to know the Oppenheim twins, Jason and Grayson. And then they also have like a third one that has like another rhymey name that I, I can't retain three of those short king's names. But too many. I can bother to understand the Oppenheim twins, but not the property bros. See, they should have done something twins. Like, I think there's something to be said about brothers and twins. Like, yes. Jonas Brothers implies that there's more than two of you. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, and then the yeah. twins, at least you guys aren't twins, but lie to me, Jeremy and Jeremy. <laughs> Are they not? That's like, they look so Are, much alike. I don't yeah, know. But then why did they go with brothers and not twins? I don't know. Someone at because, because the connotation is that twins are creepy? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't care to know. Uh, <laughs> we are not going to be that podcast of yours that's going to go do a deep dive on HGTV, unfortunately. That's, that's no, thank not our, you. That's not our brand. Um, but before not we- a big property show person either. <laughs> oh, no, I, you know, I it's had a phase. thing as it is. <laughs> I had a phase, but it got so predictable with like mm-hmm. the, the formula of like, we're a couple with $300,000 and we want six bedrooms to be near public transportation and a hot tub. Like, and you're just. What was that show that you watched on Netflix that was like marriage or a mortgage? mortgage. And you kept like yelling at everybody for not picking the mortgage. I got so angry at this little like live, laugh, love Christian couple who were getting married at 23 who chose a wedding instead of moving out of one of their parents' basements. So. I live, I, laugh, love. No. live, laugh, and in love. a basement. Hashtag gather. Um, no, it was terrible. This is the kitchen. Hashtag this is the kitchen. Oh, God. I can't. I'm going to get very angry if we keep talking about this. It's just right, but I, you know, I know that it seems like we've strayed far away from holiday movies, but when you really think about it, Home Goods also has a lot, in addition to their signs that Emily sees red when she even catches a glimpse of them out of the corner oh of her gosh. eyes. We also have, you know, a ton of holiday decor. So there we go. We, we made it all the way back to where we Perfect. started. Perfect. I appreciate that. Um, before we get into our two movies for today, I'd like to ask you, Margo, do you have a favorite holiday movie? Yes. I mean, I'm not necessarily a holiday person, famously, but it's probably You've Got Mail. I know it's not exactly a holiday movie, but they do go through all of the holidays and it came out on Christmas. And I know that because I saw it like once, like right before Christmas. And then I made my mom take me to go see it again on Christmas Day. So I I really do have a soft spot for You've Got Mail. But when we talk about like if you want one that like is supposed to be about Christmas. It's got to be Home Alone 2, I think. Mm, you and me. my sister. You and my sister. She likes Home Alone 2 as well. What about you? So I, you know, like you, a non-traditional ho- favorite holiday movie is When Harry Met Sally because yes. like You've Got Mail, they celebrate all the holidays, um, which I appreciate very much. And there's just like such great Christmas stuff in there. But in terms of like your traditional, you know, holiday movie, watch it in December type of thing. I would tie between Home Alone and I'd say maybe Die Hard, to be honest. Oh, I, yeah. Always a great one to watch. Yeah, just good times. But we are not going to be talking about these today. I think what we will do, though, is first go into talking about Elf since it came out in 2003. Oh, sorry, before we get into it, though, this should make you laugh. So initially, when I put my notes together, I put the holiday first because, you know, I'm self-centered. And I was like, oh, this is the part that has this is the most meat stuff that I'm going to do. And then I'll just do the elf casting. So then I was like, but which one came out first? And then I read some Rolling Stone interview where they did like a 10 year. I didn't realize it was a 10 year at first, but I thought the movie came out in 2013. I was like, wow, I don't remember Elf coming out that late. I could have sworn I was still in high school, but maybe it was college. And I went on this whole spiral. I was like, wait, before (laughs) I leave it this way, I just have to double check IMDb before I even say this out loud to anybody either. And just like completely make myself look insane. Like I really don't have any concept of time, which clearly I don't. I looked at IMDb. I was like, wow, I was way off. All right. So I'm going to swap my notes. No, I read that same interview with John Favreau. Uh, yeah, like, in Rolling Stone. I was like, yeah. huh, 2013, that seems really, like, too recent. I could have sworn that, like, it had some post-9-11 vibes, but maybe that's yeah. just me putting that on to Elf. Like, that's not I, Elf's journey to take. That's my journey. 
I do have a, a warning. There is one bullet point about related to 9-11, but in a healing sense. We'll we'll get into sure, yeah. it. I, Look, I kept it short. It's fine. We we technically had left 9-11 in season five, but I know that it's like a reoccurring friend of situation. 9-11 is just going to keep popping up just due to the nature of the time frame that we talk about a lot. Agreed. Agreed. So for Elf, it was, in fact, released in 2003, (laughs) (laughs) and it was directed by Jon Favreau. Yes, that Jon Favreau, and written by David Barenbaum, who grew up in Philly and was actually raised Jewish. And though he grew up Jewish, uh, Barenbaum was a fan of Christmas and especially loved Christmas movies. He eventually graduated from Tisch and in the early 90s moved to L.A. working at a lingerie factory while he wrote this initial script for Elf that he finished in 1993, 10 years before the film was actually released. And in that decade, kind of spent some time in development hell. And I'm sure you'll get into the like original, you know, who was going to be cast, that type of thing in a bit. But Baron Baum was a huge fan of Christmas holiday movies, as I mentioned earlier, and really loved the Rankin-Bass holiday specials of the 1960s. You may remember these as those stop-motion classic movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, A Year Without Santa Claus, Frosty, etc. Just really kitschy and fun. He liked the narrative of Rudolph being a misfit and traveling through a self-discovery journey, and then also loved the idea of having a story around a father and son since he had lost his own father at a young age. So he decided to center the script instead of being around a reindeer, an elf, and just kind of spent this time shopping it around. Um, He was able to get a few young producers on board, John Berg, Todd Cormarnicki, and Shauna Robertson eventually. And Robertson is best known for working really closely with Judd Apatow for about the first decade of his career in Hollywood. In terms of shopping it around studios, most studios were passing on the script. They didn't really believe in Will Ferrell as a, a leading man. And so this kind of went through several studios Enter New Line Cinema, who agreed to greenlight the film, uh, along with all the people that they'd wanted to cast. And additionally, the film had been significantly darker when it was first written. Along uh, and along the way from the first draft to actual production, it would go on and get go on and get some rewrites from Scott Armstrong, who's best known as a co-writer with Todd Phillips on Old School, Semi Pro, Road Trip, and The Hangover Part Two, as well as Chris Henchy, aka Brooke Shields' husband. Um, she's top of mind for me right now because I I keep falling asleep while watching that Christmas Castle movie on Netflix. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the right time to watch that. But I also wonder if I need to watch it if I've already seen the trailer because Becca's review of the movie was it's mostly montages. That's what my sister said. (laughs) Yeah, it has that feeling of it came out to be like 89 pages. Like, fuck it, pat it out. Let's just add some montages to it. But but Brick Shields is my one of my like favorite celebrity stories because she came into the ballet shoe store I used to work at in Santa Monica and she was so nice and was so gracious and did not ask for any freebies even though we gave her freebies and then like two days or maybe five days later or whatever she leaves us this really long message where she talks about how she's so sorry that we we she hasn't been able to write us a handwritten thank you note like sent us like a fruit basket like thanking us for like closing like opening up the store for her like after hours she was just so so nice and that's all I think about whenever her weird eyelash growth commercial comes on. No, she's been known as be one of those nice celebrities and totally. she's and she's one of those 80s child stars who, you know, ended up with a good head on her shoulders. And they've talked about how like her mom was really protective of her and everything when she was a kid and it shows cuz like, you know, is she as famous as she was in the 80s? No, but she's had a pretty, you know, good career, like solid uh career as an adult. Um and has done pretty well for herself. So I'm glad to hear she was nice to you. Yeah, Chris and she isn't the other half of Casamigos tequila with George Clooney, right? That's that's Cindy Crawford's husband. I get. I the, think you're right. I get them confused too. Me too. They look so similar. Randy Randy Gerber, I believe, is his name, right? I want to yes. say, yeah, yeah, like the Gerber baby. Yes, but he's. I don't think he is related to the Gerber no, family no, anyway. No. I only remember because yeah. of Kaya Gerber that the last right. name is Gerber. <laughs> right, but yeah, their husbands look eerily similar. So I do oftentimes get them mixed up. But I didn't know that he had taken. Well, I did know through the process of 
doing research for Elf, but I didn't realize that he had done any sort of like screenwriting at all in the past. Agreed. I didn't know either. The only other people who, well, there are a couple other people who work on this script, uh, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay at one point, and this is pretty early on in their, uh, you know, screenwriting, working together career. Which, have you seen the mess that is going on in their relationship now? No, but I did read the Jennifer Lawrence interview recently because I know she's coming out with a movie with him that he directed, Adam McKay. Mm-hmm. But, but what's going on with Will Ferrell and Adam McKay? Really quickly, only because reading about Elf kind of made me a little bit sad about the end of their partnership, although Adam McKay does seem a little exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um so when Will Ferrell was doing promo for The Shrink Next Door, they asked about, you know, oh, you know, we heard that your Gary Sanchez productions with Adam McKay kind of abruptly came to an end at the end of 2019. And because of the pandemic, like nobody really asked you about it. So like, what's going on there? And Will Ferrell was just basically like, look, Adam really wanted to work more and I don't want to work that hard. And so we just decided to like split the things up and he can just go on and I support him in all of his like directorial endeavors. And we still, you know, produce success together and whatever other ongoing projects they have but he's looking to slow down is kind of how he framed it and then when adam mckay went around doing press for don't look up or that's coming out to netflix like i think this weekend yeah i think um, you're right he got way messier about it and the long story short is that essentially adam mckay and will ferrell were producing this hbo miniseries about the showtime era of the lakers in the 80s and will ferrell's a huge lakers fan like and he's also he's a huge LA teams fan period like mm-hmm. he goes to like the soccer games and he goes to all of them but huge Lakers fan and he really wanted to play Jerry Buss one of the owners of the Lakers and so they cast him as that but then like all of these talks with Adam McKay and HBO and other people started happening behind Farrell's back and they all were all talking about how like Will Farrell doesn't have he doesn't look like him he doesn't have the vibe and so they really wanted to cast John C Riley so they did and then nobody told Will Ferrell. And then John C. Riley calls him one day and just tells him, like, I don't think you know this, but now I'm playing. Yeah. Now I'm playing Jerry. And so he, Will Ferrell calls Adam McKay up and basically is like, that sucks. I am, like, upset. And, like, I basically told him, like, have a nice life. Like, I'm not, I'm not producing or writing anything with you anymore. And... That was sort of the beginning of the end. And I guess Adam McKay at first like thought that he just needed to cool down, but like Will Ferrell hasn't responded to anything. And so now he thinks it's a great idea to like now talk about it in the press when Will Ferrell was like really gracious about it, like didn't mm. didn't kind of like invite the mess I don't in. Like and, that. Mm-hmm. and I feel like you doing this and like whining to the press about how like you fucked over your good friend and everybody should feel fucking bad for you about it. Um, he <laughs> whining to the press about how he's not fucking talking to you is probably not the way to get him to talk to you. Messy, messy, messy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love middle-aged white guy drama. Rich middle-aged mm. white guy drama. As I mean, we watch the fiction, right? The Fast so. and the Furious behind the scenes is like one of our favorite oh, yes. sagas of all time. One of the best rich cry guy moments in history. Um, but yeah, it's kind of sad just because they have made really good movies together. Yeah. But it sucks that it, it actually didn't end the way. Because when I first read Will Ferrell's thing, I was like, okay, take that as fact. I have literally no reason not to believe you. Like, you know, people grow apart and people want different things that make sense. And then you read this, you're like, oh, well, first of all, fuck you. And then second of all, like, this sucks. Now, like, yeah. now we're all, like, in your drama and it kind of bums everyone out knowing that you guys aren't friends anymore after 20 some odd years. But also, like, good on John C. Riley for being the only person to, like, have the balls to like go to Will Smith and be and a good friend and tell him the Not truth. Will Smith, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, my God. <laughs> what a day. Um, Luckily, Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff are still friends. So they are still friends. Hope, so there's some hope. Well, everybody loves John C. Riley, right? He's like yeah. supposed to be a super nice guy. It and when is. we were on our honeymoon, he was there for like the Sherlock Holmes movie that he did with Phil Farrell and he walked right past us and I basically shoved Sean into the street and like whisper shouted Josie Riley! <laughs> and he turned around and waved and I was like, oh, I was not quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Love the echoey historical streets. <laughs> Nothing like old stone to get your voice really heard. Um uh- <laughs> So back to Elf. (laughs) In terms of finding a director, at the time, John Favreau really only had one directing credit to his name. It was this movie called Made, and he was obviously more known at the time as an actor, having been in Swingers, Deep Impact, and The Replacements. 
Favreau got a hold of the script when he was directing an episode of Undeclared, which was Judd Apatow's short-lived uh, show in around 1999-2000. And the agent who managed Apatow at the time sent Favreau the script and this agent also managed Will Ferrell at the time. And though Favreau wasn't interested at first, he liked the idea of working on Ferrell's first film where he'd be the leading man. So he took on the script, did rewrites to make it more of a PG-rated family-oriented film. He really wanted this to kind of enter the canon of holiday films. And like Baron Baum, the writer of the script, Favreau also lost a parent at a young age. His mom died when he was young around the holidays. And he and his dad would watch Christmas movies to feel better about, you know, being sad about this. And Favreau at the time was even more doubling down on the Rankin-Bass angle of this movie. He was reading a book on Rankin-Bass and very much wanted that vibe to be what inspired the look and feel of this movie Elf. And in order to use the image and likeness, he got it cleared with the company at the time that owned Rankin-Bass and went into production. So principal photography began December 2nd, 2002 and ended March 7th, 2003. It took place mostly in New York City as well as Vancouver at the Riverview Hospital in Coquitlam, British Columbia, and more on that hospital later. I hate to bring it back to 9-11, but <laughs> filming took but place. But do you? <laughs> but I just one bullet, one bullet. But filming took place only a year after 9-11. And Favreau mentioned in this Rolling Stone interview, which was a 10-year retrospective on Elf, that the scenes they filmed all over Manhattan uh, and the Empire State Building, it almost felt like they were reclaiming the city and like bringing joy to the city after the city was in you know mourning for so long. And as for Gimbel's, the department store that's featured in this movie, that was an homage to the department store in Miracle on 34th Street. They wanted to use Macy's originally, but Macy's didn't want the scene where Will Ferrell reveals the department store Santa to be a fake. They didn't want that to be included. So Favreau and the production team were like, we're just going to use a different name here. They cleared that they could use Gimbel's. They recreated a department store in a mental hospital cafeteria in British Columbia, which is terrifying. <laughs> um, yikes. Did anybody yeah. have any ghost stories? They talk about this in the Netflix special for like the movies that made us. Mm -hmm. And they did talk. People behind the scenes were like, yes, it did feel very like haunted and spooky at times. Oh, which makes sense. Like uh, you, the last thing you're thinking of, of like what would be used to be a, a, you know, a representative of a department store during the holiday season would be a mental hospital cafeteria. Yeah, definitely the one of the last things I would think of. Exactly. So in terms of kind of inspiration for this Gimbals, uh, Favreau drew a lot of the, of the department store elf experience from David Sedaris's Santa Land Diaries, uh, which many of you know was the first thing he ever really got published and got on, it put him on the map in terms of being a writer and humorist. Um, even referencing Sedaris's name as an elf, Crumpet, by having one of the characters that Jovi, Zoe Deschanel's character, talks about being named Crumpet. And coincidentally, Amy Sedaris's sister is in this movie as a secretary for Walter Hobbs. Favreau was a real purist about paying homage to the Rankin-Bass specials and wanted everything to be stop motion and true to the then available technology and not have the stop motion stuff be CGI'd. To get that forced perspective look, he, i.e. where like Buddy looks significantly larger than the other elves, they used the same technology as Lord of the Rings where they built two sets. One set is raised and closer and smaller, and one is bigger and further away. Um, but ultimately, this film will be released in on November 7th, 2003, and had a budget of about $33 million, but it will gross $220 million worldwide and has gone on to inspire a Broadway musical which premiered in 2010 and a stop-motion holiday special in 2014 and is very much a holiday classic to this day. And that's what I have on Behind the Scenes. Okay, well, although it's wonderful that everybody gets along and loves each other in both of these movies, that doesn't necessarily create for a ton of information at hand. But for the elf casting, I think first and foremost, obviously Will Ferrell is Buddy the Elf. Who could possibly even play him? Well, because the script was originally written in 1993, the top choices at the time to play Buddy were Chris Farley and Jim Carrey. Can you see either one? I know that Jim Carrey goes on to play the Grinch, but could you imagine either of those men being Buddy? 
I feel if it was the darker movie, one of the two. But maybe. what does that even mean? Like no. much darker. You know I what I mean? Like know. it's so vague. I don't know. Like maybe more delusional. Like I, I don't know. I don't know. But Favreau said no initially to directing the movie because it was so much darker in which way we don't really quite know because he never really expounds upon that when he read the first draft. And he was going to pass, but then he decided he actually really wanted to work with Farrell on his first post-SNL movie. Before Will Farrell broke in on SNL, he... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Had worked as a Santa alongside Chris Kattan as his elf for five weeks at a mall in Pasadena. And I would really like to know what year and what mall this was because there's a 45% chance that Will Ferrell was my mall Santa one year. When he was cast in Elf, it was his first leading role. Old School came out the same year, but he was only a friend of, as we say, in the housewife biz. Were you going to say something? Oh, I was just going to say that reminds me of when my sister and I and our family went to Disney World in Orlando as kids. And uh, we were very certain, almost certain that uh, after I saw a behind the music or before they were rock stars on VH1, that Kevin Richardson may or may not have oh. been the Aladdin uh, when we were there. <laughs> There's <laughs> a the very, very boys. good chance. Because remember when we watched the Lou Pearlman doc, I mean, he makes a pretty convincing Aladdin. One hundred percent. I one day if I I hope that I will find photos if from a picture that turns Disney up. Trip. Yep, well, yep. you must immediately you know hit the group chat with it and then post it to our socials. <laughs> yes, it'll be like when that girl went to the Spice Girls concert and took a picture with then baby Blake Lively who was dressed as Baby Spice. Wasn't it like Selena Gomez and Blake Lively or something? I like think that? you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. That's coming soon. Hopefully, Let's manifest <laughs> this photo showing up. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel as Jovi, which is an interesting name choice. Um, when you write it like a bunch of times, you're like, huh, like we really let that slide and have that be a normal name. <laughs> Zoe had only made her film debut a few years prior in 1999 in the Lawrence Kasdan dramedy Mumford. Naturally not a blonde, Deschanel had auditioned with her hair dyed for a different project that never saw the light of day. And they made her keep it anyway because that was the tape that they saw. And they're like, nope, you're a blonde. Wanda Sykes was originally cast as her manager at Gimbal's, but later dropped out, but they kept the name tag that said Wanda on it. James Caan as Walter, Buddy's dad. Originally, this role was offered to Gary Shanling, which, again, one of those casting choices that you're like, what would that even be like? (laughs) I don't know why I can't see it. But when he declined, it went to Godfather actor, among so many other things. Not typically a comedic actor uh but at first when he was on set with Will Ferrell he used to tell him to tone it down but when he finally saw the final product he took he took it back and would later go on to star in Kicking and Screaming with Ferrell Bob Newhart as Papa Elf Bob Newhart has been in the game so long he got to start doing stand-up on the Ed Sullivan show this is not his only movie too I know when I saw a photo of him he's like he looks like Prince Philip you know what I mean Yes. yes I was like, is this what's is this what's in store for us if we make it to 90? Like, I don't know if I want it. <laughs> this is not Bob Newhart's only holiday movie, though. He voiced Leonard the Polar Bear in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mary Steenburgen as Emily. I didn't know this, but she was discovered by Jack Nicholson at the Paramount office in New York. 
Did you know that? No. Yeah. Fun fact. Uh, And her first role was in the 1978 Western Going South. She will go on to play Farrell's mom and stepbrothers a few years after this. Peter Dinklage as Miles Finch. 2003 was a breakout year for him. As he was writing the success of Elf, he earned some really serious awards buzz for his other movie in 2003, The Station Agent, but he was cast off of a West End play that one of the producers saw. Ed Asner, RIP as Santa. Like Bob Newhart, Asner had been in the game so long, he started out on the show. <laughs> he started on the TV show Studio One, which is where they do like reenactment of like historical figures. Oh, right. Which I had to look up because I'm like, I don't, I don't even know if I've ever heard of this. Some of you might remember him best as Carl from Up, but he'll always be Lou Grant from Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, 100%. Same. And that's all I have about the elf casting. Like, just like legends and not necessarily comedic ones, but I think that that really helps with the tone of the movie because I, I think it balances every if everybody's the straight man to will Farrell's ridiculousness it doesn't make sense if everybody's you know at a 10 so i think that ended up being casted perfectly and the people that passed were right to do so no i think they did great job casting and um i do like how everyone plays off really well on one another um and it's just a, a the right amount of like legendary performers um, cross with like then newcomers and like fun like little cameos here and there so you have like you know it's like andy uh richter and kyle gas is like uh james mm-hmm. Kahn's assistants and amy sedaris as his secretary like there are just great little bit parts here and there that show up that i i really enjoy about that movie well what i enjoy about the holiday besides cameron diaz singing mr brightside <laughs> at full volume is that it was written, produced, and directed by the one and only Nancy Myers. For those unfamiliar with this holiday rom-com classic, the holiday is about two lovelorn women, Amanda and Iris, from opposite sides of the Atlantic, L.A. and the U.K., who arrange a home exchange to escape heartbreak during the Christmas holiday season. Because it's not just Christmas, there's some Christmas, there's some Hanukkah, and we end on New Year's. This movie stars Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black. The asshole exes of Diaz and Winslet, played by Rufus Sewell, who most recently was like the racist schizophrenic doctor in old. And Ed Burns, like, what is he up to? Would love to get a little 411, a little SOS on Ed Burns going. Other than married to Christy Turlington, I don't know. I know he tried to be a director for a minute there, but I I don't know if that's still happening. Released by Columbia and Universal Pictures on December 8th, 2006, it would go on to gross $205 million on an $85 million budget. It was the 12th highest grossing film of the 2000s to be helmed by a female director, and it was written with Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet in mind. Myers has said in interviews that Diaz was, quote, absolutely the right choice for a California girl, and Winslet is, quote, who you think of when you think a 30-year-old woman in England. Although Jack Black was hesitant about taking the role and was not necessarily considered a romantic comedy leading man, he was eventually persuaded when he found out that his love interest in the film would be Kate Winslet. Like, duh, obviously. Now for some of the disappointing stuff. The fabulous homes that they swap are not real. Well, Cameron's house in L.A. does exist, and when it was last sold, it went from it went for $9.5 million. But Kate Winslet's house was entirely built from scratch and then destroyed. Oh. Both interiors no. were shot on a soundstage, probably because you, could, you couldn't probably comfortably fit a whole crew inside of that cottage. But you probably could have done it in that house. But yes, that was why they made the whole cottage out of Ugh. nothing, and it was just for exteriors. <laughs> No, it's so charming. That's like that's an Airbnb experience, if and if ever, right? Like, I with between the Home Alone house and the Scream house, like that little British English cottage, I'd stay there. I'd except stay there. Emily, it does not exist. You would stay in like a rubble lot adjacent to a church. Very cold. <laughs> Very cold. Yeah, you know that scene where she trudges in the snow in high heels to the little cottage. That'd be you, except there wouldn't be a cottage waiting for you. <laughs> Do all that trudging for nothing. Nothing. Filming began in January and concluded in June, and production started in Los Angeles and then moved to England for a month before completing filming back in California. The principal photography took place in Brentwood, where real Santa Anda winds were reportedly giving Myers and the whole production team a huge challenge 
cinema from a cinematographer's standpoint. So they had to go back and write it into the screenplay. And although Amanda supposedly lives in Brentwood, the exterior of that $9.5 million house is actually located in Pasadena. Myers explained when she arrived in Surrey, in the southeast of England, where the cottage scenes were filmed, where well, the cottage was built and then later destroyed because it doesn't exist anymore. She was shocked that the locals told her that it actually doesn't really ever snow there. So they set up a whole snow company to bring in all this fake snow, but then they ended up not needing it because it ended up snowing the week that they filmed. In a classic shoot the last scene first, that's how they ended up shooting the movie. They shot the New Year's Eve party at the very beginning where all of the characters get together, which is a really great and smart idea because that's a good way to get a lot of like natural chemistry going. And that's why so much of the scenes, I mean, not only were they all just together all of the time and like kind of a close knit circle, it that one of the actors that played one of Jude Law's kids talked about how that that helped initiate a lot of the on-screen chemistry between everybody. For the blockbuster scene, all of Jack Black and Kate Winslet's movies had to be removed from the shelves. And this movie surprisingly has a lot of improv, but mostly it's just Jack Black when he ad-libs a bunch of one-offs, whether it be in Blockbuster or him saying goodbye to Kate Winslet after the Hanukkah dinner. But his boob graze moment actually happened with Nancy Myers when he accidentally bumped into her and said sorry for the boob graze. And she laughed so hard, she decided that she needed to put that little one-off in the script. But most notably, though, Jude Law improvised the iconic Mr. Napkinhead scene, which Aww. I found to be very charming. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> it's very cute. And the little girl, they said that like that scene was primarily ad-libbed because the way that Nancy Myers likes to shoot, she like, they shoot it sort of how it's written, but then she asks them sort of like an improv leading questions and have them kind of react naturally. The fake action Christmas movie that stars Lindsay Lohan and James Franco that John Krasinski and Katherine Hahn are also working on made it into the movie because Myers insisted, insisted that Lohan owed her a favor and James Franco signed on because he knew Lohan, of course he did, and Myers <laughs> and apparently ended up being really fun to film. One last little fun tidbit is that Kate Winslet and Rufus Sewell actually have dated in real life. But it wasn't very awkward because it was only for a few months back in the early 90s. And their onset reunion was reportedly very friendly. And that is The Holiday. Well, this is one of those movies, as we chatted about earlier. Um, I wish I had more to share here. But guess what? This movie was written with these four leads in mind. Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black. We don't have a bonkers IMDb list of so-and-so read for this role this time around, so we'll just talk a little bit about what people had just been in prior to the holiday. So for Cameron Diaz, she had just been in the movie In Her Shoes with Tony Collette and was in between the second and third Shrek movies, which seems so very long ago. Um, <laughs> what the Shrek is happening here? What the Shrek is happening here? The holiday is actually her only credit from 2006. Meanwhile, Kate Winslet had just starred in Romance and Cigarettes and then had three credits in 2006, Little Children with Jennifer Connelly and Patrick Wilson, All the King's Men with Sean Penn, Jude Law, her holiday co-star, Anthony Hopkins, Mark Ruffalo, Patricia Clarkson, and James Gandolfini. And she voiced a rat in the animated movie Flushed Away with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Whoa, I totally forgot about that movie. Right? I was like, she played a rat. I was like, in Ratatouille? I'm like, no, what no. other rat-based movies are there? It was there? the Aardvark or whatever Aardman animation. Like, the people who make Wallace and Gromit made this movie. I forgot all about it as well. Jude Law had just voiced Lemony Snicket in Lemony... Le <laughs> Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events in 2004. And in 2006, he had been also in, as I mentioned earlier, All the King's Men and Breaking and Entering with Robin Wright, Vera Farmiga, Martin Freeman, and Juliette Binoche. And then Jack Black just had a banner year in 2006. Uh, he had eight credits, according to IMDb. He was in Danny Roan, First Time Director, which stars Andy Dick, which was a blast from the past. Nacho Libre, the I Want You So Hard music video by the band Eagles of Death Metal, three Tenacious D music videos, and this is also the same year that Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny, came out. I would also like to take a moment here and talk about something. In the past, people have been like, oh, Cameron Diaz gets a super hot guy, but 
Kate Winslet isn't a size two, so she got Jack Black. And here's what I have to say about that. Jack Black never ran off with his nanny. Also, someone on Twitter recently said this, and I'm just going to say it here. Jack Black could play any Chris Pratt role, but Chris Pratt could not play any Jack Black roles. Just putting that out there. And a little no, bit you're of totally right. And Nancy Myers has gone on to say in interviews, like she finds it really insulting that people say that because Jack Black is probably closer to your average guy that you're going to end up with versus like a Jude Law. And like you were saying, like, well, first of all, let's talk about who has their hair left. And the answer is not Jude, Jude Law, Law between the two of them. <laughs> and like you so aptly pointed out, like a serial cheater and kind of, well, I think he takes himself less seriously now. But at the time, I'm sure he was quite a bit insufferable to actually date. Truly could imagine it. I would not want have wanted to be Sienna Miller. Um, this, right? movie, <laughs> this movie has a lot of little cameos that you mentioned. Lindsay Lohan is in one of the fake trailers that Diaz is working out the movie. And same with James Franco. And as you mentioned, Katherine Hahn and John Krasinski. This is the thing with Nancy Myers movies. She is so sought after to work with that even the minor roles in these movies are like caliber, top caliber people. My favorite cameo, though, in this entire movie is at a blockbuster um, during the scene where Dustin Hoffman shows up after Jack Black talks about the Simon and Gar- Garfunkel score in The Graduate. That was an unplanned cameo when they were filming the scene and Dustin Hoffman just happened to be driving by the blockbuster, saw this camera crew in front and stopped by to see what was filming. And he and Nancy Myers are friends and she's like, why don't you just do the scene? And that's like how it ended up being a scene. And that's really it. LA story. Yes. 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 Just driving on down was like, who's shooting today? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but like, just like a perfect little ditty. Like, it's just short enough. Like, it's not too annoying. Like, it's just, it's perfect. I mean, this movie, in my Nancy Myers movies rankings, this is, I don't know if it's my number one, but it, it's its maybe my number two. I think my number one might be um, Something's Gotta Give, which is horrible, but hmm. like, I just look, I like it for the acting. I don't like the end of it. Oh, but I enjoy it for sure. I also like Magic Mike because of the acting. (laughs) Dr. Keanu Reeves. Right. We see right through you. I know what you're saying. So something's got to give is your number one and the holidays your number two. I think. Oh, but it's complicated. It's really good too. Ooh, what about yours? Father of the Bride, I think, is my number one. Oh, I love that movie so much. It has, I have such a soft spot for it. Me too. You know, mm, I have to think about this a little bit. I, you know, and that's when I, re- I, I find that the Nancy Myers movies, for the most part, what women want being the exception, as we found out. Uh, well, except night. for we all genuinely laughed when he read that dog's mind. Yes. <laughs> Best French Miss, accent. <laughs> Monsieur, I have to poop. Like, I can't, like, that was such a. That was so insane. It's one of those things you're like, I don't even know how to properly process what just happened to me. It was so funny. If oh, I wow. ever I didn't realize that Nancy is a Sagittarius. Her birthday's tomorrow. Oh, is it? What mm-hmm. a queen. Well, I've been looking at her um IMDB a lot lately, hoping that something will pop up or like a dead deadline, hoping that there'll be an announcement of a Nancy Myers movie soon, because we're due for one after what we've suffered the last couple of years. I'm just I definitely saying. agree. I feel like I, for this third year of COVID, we deserve an Nancy Myers movie. But I mean, I'm not sure if you saw or read much of Vulture's coverage last year when they did yes. Nancy Myers. Beat, oh my God. She, her sis, her daughter like went after it. Hallie Mallard, Myers Shire. My God. I'm going to ignore her and just focus on the only person that truly matters. And I'm so sorry. You're going to have to live in your mother's shadow for the rest of your life and never quite be as good as her. But you know what? Could be worse. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But she talked about how difficult it's been for her to get a movie made. Like the intern made a ton of money, but it was still a complete bitch and uphill battle for her to get the funding. They kept putting her down at every turn, especially, you know, it's not based on existing IP. It's it's for women like 30 plus. Like who cares about them? They should just be dead already. Like it just, it's so insane. And so she made that Zoom Father of the Bride for Netflix as sort of like 
an audition in a way to get funding to make the whole thing because I, I don't know like this woman's movies just print money what they are we money. talking about just let her direct something like there, if she wants to it makes me we should be sad. so fucking lucky Three, we should say thank you we should say thank you i just the mid-level mid-budget rom-com is just not something studios are doing as much anymore or i know and it's, it's something that we're bummer. seriously missing which like, i had a conversation with like a friend from high school who not to like continuously name drop but was like a child star growing up but we were both talking about how we miss like mid-budget action movies and like yeah. mid-budget thrillers like i me and marianne still go watch mid-budget thrillers that are absolutely terrible because they're fun and like these rom-coms that are not specifically made for streaming or for tv like a real original mid-budget rom-com like give someone me five million dollars to make like a a small rom-com like it wouldn't be that hard no and like what movie would you possibly like what money would you possibly be missing out on it's just like such such a treat to like go see one at a theater and then like the watchability Mm -hmm. that's the other thing is like i rewatch not all rom-coms but there's several that i rewatch every year because i love them so much like nora efron classics and like nancy myers like if one is made well and there's great writing, it stands the test of time. I think some better than a lot of these like big budget action superhero would have you. Like it's just, it's oh, yeah. so insufferable. I've seen all of Marvel movies like maybe once. I've seen The Parent it's, Trap it's about 58 times. I mean, I don't understand yeah. <laughs> The Marvel These movie like, is an experience. It's yes. meant to be an experience. It's a one-time thing. And There's they leave your brain yeah. almost immediately, yeah. as they are meant to. But like the Parent Trap, or even what women want, like yeah. it's not a great movie. And you know, Mel Gibson. But you know, all of that notwithstanding, like even her worst movies are still memorable. Yeah. Versus stuff that like is a flash in the pan you know no disrespect because i love my fast franchise and but i could not t- i'm so glad that the fast franchise always starts with the recap of the movie before it because it's important. lord knows i don't remember i only rewatch them for this podcast truly that is it and also when they come on fx i'm oh, like yeah. i can put this on the background. You know, it's a great white noise movie for sure i don't i do think i've seen f- Fast Five and Six, like, the most, though, for some odd reason. I think they were, like, the most hype, and I've rewatched them in the most just because, like, I saw them by myself, and then Sean wants to watch it, or somebody else wants to watch it. I'm like, yeah, I'll sit through this. It's really quite fun. But I could not explain the plot. I was like, Brazil, I think, is one, and then Gal Gadot dies in the other, I think. But I could be wrong. That could all be the same movie, for all and I it, know. And it, she could... Given the twists that happen in these movies, very could well, come back. She, well, she could come back. She could as, just have, you know, amnesia or whatever, you know, just like Letty. It, it, it goes around, apparently. Yes. yes. Wear a mask. You might catch amnesia. I guess we can we can bring up this Fast 9 spoiler. Like, Han was not expecting that. Like, oh, anyway. Any <laughs> any final thoughts on our on our movies we've talked about today? No, other than let Nancy Myers direct another movie, you know. That's that's the real takeaway here. I will. John Favreau has had enough. All right. Oh yeah. See, and that's the other thing is he went from like charming little elf movie to uh, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm just like enough, enough. (laughs) Oh, I think one thing we didn't talk about though is that Will Ferrell, thank bless him turned down a sequel to Elf 2 and like a ton of money like I want to say 35 million dollars but that's just because of that he's a class story act. but he's a class he, act yeah he was like I think it'd be really humiliating and would be like a cry for help if somebody saw me a middle-aged man running around in tights I'm like looking at you, you Tim having, Allen yes thank you for having good sense <laughs> and just letting well enough alone it's perfect in that sense. And I think that's what taints things like the Santa Claus, which on its own could be a very fun movie. But then you factor in these awful sequels and you're just like, yeah, Tim Allen's here for the paycheck. Uh, clearly. Yeah. And we were going to talk about Santa Claus, but then we realized we don't want to talk about Tim Allen. We Maybe next to. year. I feel like we've been traumatized enough in the last months and weeks and years that we don't need to talk about a guy who's best known for making a sound like a dog. So... <laughs> I think- <laughs> I think we can let that live for now and just remember the iconic way that his weird son said antlers. 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 Well, we leave you with our our best home improvement impressions and we thank you for- What a note to go out on. 
We close out 2021 real strong with Tim Allen impressions. We thank you for listening to our podcast once again. Uh, Once again, we're really appreciative of all of you who continue to listen to us. And we're so excited to bring you more in 2022. If you've liked what you've heard, you can check out our other episodes on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And the best way to stay up to date on our latest episodes is to subscribe to our pod. And while you're hitting that subscribe button, maybe leave us a rating and a review. We also have a Patreon page that you should check out where $5 a month gets you a newsletter and a bonus episode. And you can find us at patreon.com slash old millennials pod. Additionally, we are on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the old millennials pod. And individually, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Emily A. Beijing. And I'm at Marg, she wrote. And until next year, question mark, we say. (laughs) Do you know something I don't? (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.